Hi friends, it's Sophie, and welcome to This Trying Life, a podcast about, well, all it takes to try and be alive. It's about being stuck in the messy middle of your life, but trying your best to live the life you want to lead anyway. Okay, let's get cracking. Episode two. This week's guest is the amazing, the one and only, Jill Connell. She is a playwright, director, producer, and theater maker in Toronto. She's incredible. If you don't know her work, go to itcouldstillhappen.com. Her plays have been produced all over Canada, in Montreal, in Toronto, in Fredericton, in Calgary, and in Edmonton. She is such a force to be reckoned with. Right now, she currently holds the prestigious Chalmers Arts Fellowship in Canada, and I have no doubt, no froggin' doubt, she will win the Siminovich Prize one year. She inspires me with her dedication to her craft and her commitment and her continued curiosity about how to refine her artistic practice of playwriting and directing and theater making and how to continually learn and grow. And as somebody witnessing that, it's really encouraging as a young artist to see that. So thank you for that, Jill. Okay, friends, let's get to it. Episode Froggin 2, right? The best. The best. Episode 2 with Jill Connell. Thank you so much for being on my podcast, Episode 2. For all the listeners out there, all of them, (laughs) hundreds, (laughs) I sort of wanted to go on the theme from last episode, which was Jody and words. And I was curious about whether words have a significant meaning in your life or not. And one word that I think you really embody is love. And I wonder if you have any stories about if that word has ever formulated itself in your mind and at what age you were when you become, became aware of, of the feeling of love? Wow. I noticed that in many ways in that I'm not a very good drawer, but I do love drawing words, like writing, literally. Um, and I wondered if that's just because I have an affinity for like the alphabet and like what you can do with it. I don't, there's a family legend that I don't know if it's true that I began talking later and started talking in more full sentences. I do feel that like how I grew up, there wasn't a great attentiveness around words. Like it wasn't a a house of writers, for example, like we loved 
the outdoors, like acti physical activity was a big like family tradition. But I wonder, maybe it became special to me because I was interested, like so highly interested in, in reading. And I started writing poetry. Like my first book of poetry was when I think I was like in about grade two. And I remember my dad, especially like commenting on it. Like I, I was like an alien from outer space. Like he was like, this is so incredible. Like, <laughs> how did you even think these things? I think I was like quite influenced also by who I was reading, which was weirdly like Al Purdy and like Walt Whitman or something. <laughs> <laughs> like they were at, like. <laughs> at like in grade four or at, at age four? No. Well, I, I think around grade two. I don't know why I want to say that. Oh, I um, bet it's true. But they're all like landscape poems about like, I don't know, like the snow falling and, and like things like not in my immediate surroundings, like animals in other countries. Oh, well, you still write somewhat along that vein. I'm thinking of the abortion and it's like a Western I, I love this idea that he's early, that a person can stay true to like their early impulses or that that's all you have. Totally. So I want to ask you about that, a person staying true to their early impulses. I think that's what I mean when I say you embody love to me because you embody loving what you do sort of like at all costs. And I just wonder how that came about in you as a child and then growing up what it was that drives you to stay true to your impulses. I feel um, the body is like a big source of knowing for me, um, how I kind of pursue a life that might be associated with loving what I do is that I, I don't feel there's a huge amount of choice in the matter. Like my body will really kind of, um, malfunction or something if, if, if I'm doing things I don't want to do or saying things I don't want to say. Can you give an example of that? Yeah. So an example would be I was on this like panel of speakers at the Etobicoke School for the Performing Arts. They were having this like workshop day and I was invited to assist. And at the end, they're like, we're going to have a Q&A for these high school students. And when I was asked to speak, like I was mostly listening. So people were asking questions and all these other panelists were answering. And I hadn't said anything this whole time and was getting like increasingly nervous in my body about like what I might say or if anything I might say would be of use or of interest to these um, aspiring artists, teenagers. And then... Um, my friend who had invited me there, who's a teacher at ESA, kind of specifically asked me a question. He was like, Jill, like your path as an artist has kind of been like all over the place. Like you didn't go the direct route and like here you are like a playwright in Toronto. Like, can you speak to us about um, where you're at or like how you got here? And in that moment, I couldn't um, breathe, really. I think I was having a panic attack for like the first time speaking in public, which is strange because I used to speak in front of large groups of teenagers all the time. But I think it was the topic I was being asked to speak about, which I thought I had to like pretend that like, I don't know where I was at was like cool or easy 
when what I really wanted to say is like, you know, making art is very difficult. And I think I had trouble speaking because I didn't feel like it was okay to say the truth. Why do you think that is, that we're shy about speaking about what's hard? I wonder, I've been thinking, um, wondering if it might be cultural sometimes. Like I was thinking this about art criticism in the small microculture I navigate, which is pretty much like the independent theater and sometimes dance contemporary dancing in Toronto um, and how like why does it seem difficult to have the conversations I want to have which is to be critical of what I'm seeing and interfacing with and especially the things that I love or almost love like the things that compel me I want to be like but what about this or like and that could take the form of like wasn't this moment amazing but I was like, why are we so reticent to to engage in like the more difficult conversations? Like, why couldn't those just be conversations? And I started thinking about like on a much microculture level, if that was like part of my family structure to um, be really positive about things and mm. that like we kind of soldier on or like nothing is... Um, you know, your job is to like make it work. Yeah. And that I don't feel is like, I'm such a moody person <laughs> that like moods really dictate my experience and they're so changeable and that we're supposed to be just like a balanced human being, like saying these balanced, like kind of agreeable <laughs> things. Like I don't go to art to feel balanced like being imbalanced was one kind of breakthrough I made in thinking about my own artistic process is I used to be so upset with, with myself when I wasn't more balanced mostly with deadlines like I would like procrastinate working on something and then the week before a writing deadline like I would like cancel all my appointments and like stay awake for like a week and like do nothing else and then I'd be like this is no way to work but then I more accepted that and I feel that's exactly the way I work. And now I just like plan around the imbalance. Totally, totally. That just made me think of an exercise my therapist in Toronto made me do last year when I had gone back to school and was seeing if academia was going to be for me. And I was explaining to her my process between having to do an assignment for this one course that was very boring versus the assignment that I was doing for my creative writing course, which was really stimulating, and how that led to me procrastinating the boring assignment until the very end, and then extreme panic, and then mayhem, and sort of trying to get everything together, but it being so frazzled, and I wasn't enjoying any of it. And she got me to draw out my process, like two different <laughs> lines. And I had imagined she would be like, oh, like, you, you know, circle this spot. Like, that's clearly an issue where you, I don't know, made like death symbols or whatever. But instead, she was like, meh, maybe that's just your process. 
And when she said that, I was like, yeah, where did I learn to, where did I learn that balance is key? And I'm not dismissing balance. I think it's important, but I think there is something to the individuality of all of our processes, whether artistic or not, and that embracing the way we operate in the world might be more helpful to us than trying to do everything right. Yes. Yes. And I think there are, like, even things that help you be imbalanced, like, because being out of, like, or I guess imbalanced is, like, another way to say it could be, like, a dynamic life or um, a life that's in movements that has different, like, qualities to the different parts, like, different seasons. And also, I wonder, I'm so interested in creating balance and strength in the body, almost so that your body... um, can manage even more extremity in a way (laughs) or like more sensation. Here, I'm going to insert like a clip of just how extreme I think you are. (laughs) (laughs) I'll like explain all the extreme things I know you to do. And then it will be like, because more extremity, (laughs) why not reach for more? But you know what, actually, now that I'm saying this, All joking aside, I think you're speaking to something very true, which is accessing, oh, this is going to sound fluffy. I couldn't think of a better word. But I think what you're speaking to in terms of reaching extremity speaks to how we can, as humans, access our flow states, Mm. which are when you're skill limit meets the difficulty of the task but it just meets it and that's when people enter a state of flow is when they're working at their sort of maximum and the demands of the task are great but they're not so great that they're crushing them and they're also not too easy it's it's just meeting them constantly and that's how I think of when I'm acting, that's what brings me joy. When it's hard, but I'm still reaching for it anyway. Yeah. What you just described is like, I feel the place I want to live. Yeah, totally. That's the place that makes our brains the happiest. According to this great professor I had at the University of Toronto, John Verveke. I want to ask you if you'd be open to it, but you might not be, so, which is fine. But going back to that School of the Arts talk, at the time you had said that you felt that you were being asked how, you know, you had gotten to this place, and what I got from you was a sense of that you sort of felt like you had to put on a happy face and say that things were great. Whereas what was moving inside of you might have been what is hard about being an artist. And I wonder what you find hard about being an artist right now Mm -hmm. or at the time. Yeah. I do think they're different then and now. 
thankfully, maybe. I also, this can be an aside or you don't need to answer it, but I was curious if you know the answer of where it comes from, what's okay to say, or like why we think we have to say something. Oh, I think you touched on it in terms of culturally, I had never thought of before, but in terms of the culture of the family, I think that's very true. I think I had a similar upbringing of it wasn't really talked about when things were hard. And so I didn't because I didn't like to worry other people. And I still struggle with that. But I think there is such comfort and solace to be found basically in people talking about what's hard. I mean, to be honest, that's all I ever want to talk about, Jill. <laughs> yeah. Well, cause that's where your edge is also like, that's where it gets interesting. I also think we're working or articulating what's hard with yourself or with another person or with your family or friends or lover partner is like what embodies love. Actually, it's like returning to a situation and being like, we're going to continue to work to like precisely articulate what's hard. Exactly. So I'm curious about what you find hard as an artist, but I'm also curious about what you find hard as a human. Yeah. Um, yes. What's hard as an artist, I think then when I had the panic attack, um, what felt hard to me was like a lack of opportunity or I wanted to be seen as an artist. Like I felt I had moved to Toronto and it was such a mystery to me, like how to get a play on stage or how to get someone to, to think I was cool or like brilliant or something enough to be like, it's real. I can actually call myself an artist and a playwright in this city because I'm working. I also wonder artistically if I got so accustomed to writing grants that when you write grants, you're kind of being asked to speak in this way that's like, I'm this kind of artist who works on these kind of things and I'm great like in this way and this is what makes me unique and this is why my voice is an important contribution. And um, so almost when you're asked to speak in front of people, all this like positive speak is like what's available. And perhaps that felt like a, a lie to do that like in public in front of like 200 teenagers. But I think now what feels hard as an artist is, is different things, thankfully. Um, like right now, this year, I've had so much opportunity and they're quite, um, they're quite incredible. Like I have the support, financial support that allows me to have time, like basically freedom to do, um, to articulate my craft and to write and to um, engage other artists and collaborate with people and to make work as a theater artist um, and as a writer, which I have really missed. Like I haven't, um, yeah, I'm so excited to write a new play. But what is challenging is like meeting that opportunity. Hmm. I wonder if that's fairly normal in the sense of when we are given opportunities or luck comes our way or not luck. Luck is 
a diminutive word, but whether then there is the fear of living up to the potential of that opportunity. Yeah. That is for me, at least. Yeah. I mean, I think meeting an opportunity is, is indeed like just a different challenge. And um, it also, to me, confronts more the idea of why, of what's going to happen if I make the work. Will it be worthwhile? Um, like, it, this is almost the same with anything. Like, why make anything, any um, art, any relationship, any, like, why, why do we do anything? And, um, but I think it is just inherently vulnerable making things. Totally. And to just, like, kind of jump off the edge and be like, well, I don't know if this is terribly important, but it's what I've got to offer and it's what I'm going to do with like this um, opportunity and this small amount of time. Totally. I wonder if you think time is a factor in the way that you have changed thinking about what is difficult about being an artist. Because for me, something that I would have really hated in my 20s would have been that certain things take time and I really resented that and especially I resented that when it came to personal struggles because I thought like fuck this I don't want to be in the state that I'm in and so I resent being told that sometimes things just take time to get over and I wonder if, if you think about time and if thinking about what's hard has changed. I do feel perhaps that's one of the struggles right now, too, is what you describe, that urgency of like wanting things now. I do associate with youth, youthfulness more. And like what a challenge or perhaps it's somehow a gift is like in comparison to that, like urgency of moving to Toronto and wanting things now, basically of wanting to be a working artist, wanting to be um, like in relationship to the scene of indie theater or uh, like mega theater here. Um, but certainly like now I approach my practice definitely as like connected. I almost see everything that I've done as a writer. Like, first of all, I kind of picture directing and producing to be like writing work um, in the sense that I'm just bringing my writing skills to it. But that's almost like saying I'm just bringing my most foundational artist skills, which also to me I wonder if that's why I'm seeing like a return of dance in my work because I grew up as a dancer, as a girl um, and a teenager. And that time turns out to be nice in this respect because it feels like it's connecting, um, like it's almost like a stamina game. Like it is what you return to that that's what you're building. Yeah, totally. I think time, I think personally my interest in time comes from more so the internal struggles that we all go through as humans. And 
just what you said about time being nice. I think when I am in a place of despair or severe struggle, um, which often for me manifests in a sense of hopelessness about my life, Mm -hmm. that in the moment, if somebody was to say like, oh, it will pass or you'll get through it, I would really like buck against that because I thought, you know, how dare someone like leave me in this state (laughs) as if someone is leaving me like they're not but um but how dare more sort of how dare to the universe how dare you leave me in this state of despair Mm -hmm. and I do think the older I get there's something to time that I don't know I'm finding quite nourishing or something and actually quite helpful in the long run Mm -hmm. in the long game which is that instead of it being something to buck against, like perhaps it is actually our ally. Before we part, I do want to ask you about money. So that's another word that I associate with you because um, you also embody to me an unusual relationship to money. Unusual for me, I don't think unusual in the world, nor do I think unusual, especially in the world of artists. But it's something actually you said to me once, which was that you never think about or you never thought about money. Um, I don't want to just say a blanket statement like that. But as an artist, what was driving you, like um, whether or not you could pay the rent sort of didn't come into it. And that was really new for me and actually quite helpful to hear because I think I have lived most of my life from a place of I need to have things secure first before I can do the things I want to do. And you seem to operate from a place of I need to do the things I want to do, Um, not disregarding the other things, but they aren't, they don't carry the same weight. And I just wonder where that came from in you where that came from that like you would create your art at all costs and whether you had witnessed that or learned that from people you were around as a child or whether that was something you came up with on your own that um this world of money and security and I don't know paying the bills um that that wasn't of value to you I feel I do need security, but for example, what gives me security is knowing like when writing falls away from my life, for example, when I'm not writing, then I don't know what anything's for. Like, I don't know why I live in Toronto and like have the jobs I have or the friends I have, like it can get really dark. (laughs) Like, so what gives me security is, um, is actually pursuing um, the thing that I've decided to put at the center of my life. The reason I bring it up with you in particular is because you are actually an artist to me who A, works consistently, as in you create your own work and you keep creating your own work, and you don't decide, oh, I don't have the money to do this project, this year, like, as you said, which I find so interesting, is that writing is what brings you security in this life. So that is the, 
foremost drive and intention behind your days. And I think from that, as somebody who then gets to practice their work all the time, you grow and become a better artist and opportunities come and all that sort of thing. And I mean, it really opened my mind, Jill, when you first expressed that to me. And then um, another artist is Cheryl Strayed, who she as well is somebody who I remember reading once has a sort of in her 30s and in her 20s when she was writing, um, never thought about money. Never thought about money. I'm not articulating this right. Um, she thought about money. She had money stresses. She had two young kids and um, her and her like husband would like work these part-time jobs, but also not so much that it would take them away from their art. He's a documentary filmmaker. She's a writer. And she, I think I was hearing her speak or reading a letter she wrote in response to somebody saying like, oh, like, how do you be an artist when, like, I have to work nine to five or something? And she was like, like, you don't have to work nine to five. And she never thought about money in that way of um, that that comes first, that the security of having the money in place comes first. She was like, I thought I would be paying off my student loans forever. And she planned to do that just because it wasn't a priority for her to pay them off first. Whereas I think with me... I have often prioritized like being out of debt and now I'm just sort of like, well, fuck that. <laughs> yes. It's like, you can't wait for like the money to like line up or for like the money to allow you to like do what you want to do. I, I feel, but to pursue what like makes you feel like yourself and to pursue what grounds you so that you can like enter the world and, um, feel like you have some ground to stand on like just emotionally even and physically um like to feel okay in your body about what you're doing um I feel money actually follows that it seems like some trick that that's the system we're supposed to care about like couldn't we also live in a world where we care about like art and like beauty and like that's the system. It's it's like if you're not fulfilling like your beauty quotient in a day, then you you have to like go home and be like, what am I going to do that's beautiful tomorrow? How will I create beauty? Exactly. That's what I found so revelatory about you, Jill. And also when Cheryl Strayed said that, I was like, oh, there are other things that I can focus on in my life. Yeah, I, I just I can't be convinced. It's more important than anything. Totally. And I think it's because I've associated money with security, but also I like the idea of security coming from elsewhere, i.e. doing what you love. And also what gives you security? Would this not be like your relationships, like your, your chosen family, like your friends and like your coworkers, your fellow artists? Yeah, totally, totally. I will have to leave you soon, but I want to ask you before I go, if there's anything in your life that you're trying right now, it can be anything. It can be from the trivial, I'm trying to open a jar of jam and I can't open it, to existential. The first thing that came to mind is I'm trying rock climbing. I have a month-long beginner pass, intro pass, and I go twice a week 
with my friend Shayla. So I have like a climbing partner. And I think we've, we must have gone, I want to say like seven times. So I'm getting towards the end of my month. Um, yeah, but it's such a fun thing to try. I love that. Do you know why I love that specifically? Because when we were talking about flow earlier, the example that John Verveke gives in his cognitive psychology class and um, cognitive science and Buddhism class about flow is he gives the example of a rock climber because that is constantly being in a state of flow because your the skills are sort of just outside of your reach and like quite metaphorically you are reaching for the next boulder or grasp or trying to figure it out but it's not so hard that you can't do it like your your hand can touch the boulder and then you just need to figure out like how to maneuver your body up there aha uh -huh. it is it's like so exciting in that way i'm a beginner so often my experience is like I can't, I fail. Like I just like fall off the wall, but yeah, sorry. I should have specified like, um, pro rock climbers. Did he specify pro rock climber? I think he did in the sense of like, it's similar with other pro athletes uh -huh. when you're doing something that is inherently difficult and you've become a master of it to a certain degree, but not to the degree that you outmaster the actual sport. Oh my gosh. I think this is the main thing we should aim for in our lives is this flow. I want to ask you just before we end, which is as a beginner rock climber, and you had said, you know, so I'm failing, uh, what that makes you think about not the failing, but what being in the struggle of learning how to do something new with your body, what that's making you think about. It is making me think about um, how rare that is. I realized it's rare that I learn something new these days. And I realized I wonder if being an artist, perhaps more than some other occupations, is quite consuming. So I feel like the amount I should like practice and know about and be like, meeting people and making art is like so endless as to kind of edge out the opportunity to learn new things like rock climbing or like I don't like play an instrument currently or like, um, I don't know. So it did make me realize how exciting it is to do something new, brand new. And I think I'm kind of bolstered by failure. I, I, I don't mind failing usually. Um, or I do think, you know, the classic maxim failing is where you learn or I have a kind of complicated relationship. Cause as a child, like, I think I was quite a perfectionist. Like for example, I found school quite easy, you know, what we were learning. So I wasn't accustomed to like being in math class and like not understanding anything. And sometimes rock climbing feels like that. Where I'm like, like everyone else is just like masterfully navigating the wall. I'm just like, I don't even, like, I can't even, like, I put my hands on like the beginning hold and then I'm just like, oh, I can't even like 
get the next hold. It is teaching me to work at my level. Um, certainly that's like they have more beginner um, problems in bouldering and yeah so I started like white is the bottomest one and this gym I go to doesn't even really have whites but then like yellow is the next step and I'm just like I'm gonna like see if I can do like all the yellow in this gym and then orange is the next one I do some oranges uh, and I'll like think about the things I couldn't do when I come home and I like like get so excited to go back and do them next time we go and then sometimes like something I could not do like then I just go back and like do it on the first try and it's so exciting like I'm such a beginner rock climber but sometimes like I feel it's really like I feel really cool sometimes <laughs> It's just so unlikely. <laughs> like, it's like, feels really positive for self-esteem. Well, friends, that was it. Episode two, done and dusted. Woo-woo! I would still love your thoughts. So if you'd like to send me a voice memo about this episode or the previous one, because I have two now, you can send that to thistryinglife at gmail.com. I already have some, and I had wanted to play them for you this episode, but oh, deadlines. I promised I would get out an episode each month, and I need a bit more software to in order to extract them properly. So don't despair. Those voice memos are coming because they're so awesome and so insightful. But I would love to hear from more of you and I'll compile them maybe into a future episode and um, sort of share some thoughts that I've received that have been so rich and rewarding. Specifically with this episode, I would love to hear your thoughts about what you find hard to talk about, what you think you're maybe not allowed to talk about, that you often put on a happy face for, which maybe you don't want to send me, but maybe you do, because maybe that is, just as Jill said, a way to connect, a way to keep doing the work trying our best to connect with the people in our lives. So send me a voice memo. I would so love to hear it. Thank you so much for listening. Guess what? Episode three comes next month. Can you believe it? Oh my God. Who's doing this podcast thing? I am. That's who. Okay, friends. See you next month. Thank you.